Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 4, starting from verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole country. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Ascended Lord Jesus, we thank you that even now you are praying for us. Even now you are enjoying the presence of your Father and longing that we too would know that deep love and communion. So we ask that through your Holy Spirit you would speak to us in this time today, that these words written all those years ago would come to life in a way that welcomes us into the community of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and pushes us out into a life that you prepared for us, full of resurrection and hope and good news. We pray all this in your name. Amen. During his earthly ministry, Jesus was a person of habits. He had practices which fostered in him the very way of God and allowed him to continue to remain with his father even though he was further than he'd ever been before. It is these very practices which we think and are teaching are forming the backbone of the Christian life that these practices invite us into the resurrection life of Jesus because we see in Jesus that these practices are not just like some sort of coping mechanism to get through life in this world, but these practices are actually the way of good life. These things are the way that all things will be in the world that is to come. And so one of these central practices of Jesus is how we see him worshiping God. And as we mark Ascension Sunday together, we should note that the worshiping life of Jesus continues in his resurrection and goes with him as he is raised to the right hand of the Father. In Hebrews 9, we hear that Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself and now appears for us in God's presence. Christ continues to worship now in the heavenly sanctuary before the presence of God, bringing the Father glory, affirming the Spirit's goodness, and praying at all times on our behalf. But for some, 
worship together on Sunday and the Christian religion generally, they're just a means to an end. For some, when they worship and when they pray and when they give God praise, it's all such that when they die, they might receive resurrection. And then I suppose they hope that they might be able to begin doing whatever it is that they really want to be doing. But the reality that Jesus' resurrection points us to and his ascension affirms for us again today is that these things carry us through the grave and are our very joy on the other side. The worship of God will not cease, but I suspect it will become that much louder that much more joyful and that much more consuming. It might feel a lot like last night felt in many parts of the city with all the cars and the hollering and my neighborhood is not that far from their Canada Center and maybe that was a taste of the kingdom of God and all its raucous joy. Because at last we'll be in that true sanctuary. At last we'll see God face to face. And that's what life was always supposed to be about for us. The Westminster Shorter Catechism begins with this really big question that lots of people ask. What is the chief end of man? That's sort of an old-fashioned way of saying, why do people exist? What's our purpose? And the way that the catechism answers it is that The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's the patterns of this tattered and unfulfilling world which has us do anything else. And the resurrection life of Jesus actually invites us into fulfilling our true purpose, that we should now glorify God more fully than we ever dreamed possible, that we should now enjoy God in ways that we could have never imagined before. That's what resurrection is all about. And so that's why last week's message mattered. That's why we need to constantly die to ourselves and carry our cross to be Jesus' followers, because to follow Jesus means to place God before everything else in our lives. And that's going to be the way things are forever. There's no opt-out clause. There's no time where God says, you know what? You've done me for a long time now. You go do you, right? Like that's not the way this is going to work. And so if that's going to be forever and we've still got other priorities, if we've still got other things that we're hoping to do or accomplish instead of praising God, then when we finally secured our last payment in our religious insurance policy, we're going to be severely disappointed in the outcome when we get there. Because worship follows us through our end. And it follows us into the world that is without end. Truly, worship is the very heart of the world that God has promised to us. And so if that's the world we're anticipating, if that's the world that we're training ourselves to truly want and desire, we need to practice for it. And like all good practice, we need to do it regularly. We need to be learning and experiencing more and more as we go along, becoming more adept ourselves at whatever we do for worship. We practice it in our daily work. A motto of the Protestant Reformation was often that our work is our worship. All of life becomes an act of worship. But we also practice it now in our time here together. 
when we are intently seeking God's face individually and as a community, where we are seeking to hear God speak and to respond to Him in praise and prayer. It's this kind of worship that I'd like to spend most of our time looking at together this morning because I think it's really integral to our life as a community and to entering into resurrection life together. And so that's where we see Jesus in today's reading from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus returns to his hometown and goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. Already we're told that this isn't a really special and unique circumstance that we're getting to see in Jesus' life. No, this was his regular habit. This was something that he had built his life around. So too, Luke is saying, this wasn't just the custom of the day, though that may well be true. More importantly, this was Jesus' custom. This was the way Jesus chose to live his life. The Son of God spent weekly time in the gathering of God's people. How important is it then for us to make gathering for worship a priority in our lives? As Phil has often said to us, there are better sermons that you can find on podcasts all over the internet, right? I know that. You know that. There's, there's better music that you could hear on Spotify, probably. Kristen's album will also be on Spotify soon, so even that. Right? Like, these things, like, if that's what it's about, there's better stuff out there. And perhaps we could even argue that Jesus would have been better off if he just, like, spent more time alone in prayer. He would have been more productive, more in tune with God's Spirit, rather than surrounding himself with the unrighteous and the self-righteous, as he often did, and as we find ourselves doing here this morning. But Jesus makes this his habit to go to the synagogue. This is something that shapes and forms his life. There's something about the gathering of God's people together who are listening for God's voice together and expecting God's presence together that we can't duplicate on our own. No matter how well we might resource ourselves or how spiritually mature we may feel that we are, we need to gather together. This time matters. This time is what's forming us into the community of God's people, into the very body of Christ. And please know that I'm not talking about legalism here. Nobody's taking attendance. Most week, Greg just counts numbers, but that's it, right? Like, that's not what this is about. What this is about is choosing to genuinely make yourself available to this community. There are lots of people who just can't, people who we love dearly, whose health prevents them from coming, whose family system and dynamics makes it too difficult to get here on a Sunday morning, people whose work schedules make this a commitment that's not realistic for them to sustain their lives. But for many of us, that's not the case. For many of us, we're just choosing other priorities. And I'd like to encourage you to strive to make this a custom for yourself, to come weekly as a practice of Sabbath to be among God's people. The next thing that we might notice is that Jesus is present in the synagogue where he hears and sometimes speaks 
the words of law and prophets, which were good news when they were written and good news again in Jesus' time. Jesus is handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and the words that Jesus speaks, they're not one of the times where Isaiah is recording God's words. They are Isaiah's words about himself and his ministry and his community. But Jesus takes those words of Isaiah and speaks those words of himself. With Isaiah's words, Jesus brings them from Isaiah's context into his own. Jesus offers a refreshment of their hope. He announces their fulfillment. He points toward another act of God's redeeming love and mercy. And this continues to be our practice. The good news all that time ago is still the same good news today. Each successive generation of God's people have been able to see in the Scripture, to take those same old words and see not only the message that was meant for a completely different people in a completely different time, but to also see for themselves how it is good news. And Jesus participates in that same interpretive tradition. Jesus reveals that the promises of God are often bigger than we might narrowly imagine them to be not only for the first people who heard them, but for each person who might hear them again. And so this gives us reason to walk in hope of the resurrection, and it empowers us to be formed by these words of God because they're for you. They're for you as much as they've ever been for anyone else. That's the beauty of Scripture, and that's the beauty of what Jesus does in this text. And so that's why it makes us that that much more poignant how Jesus ends his reading, and begins saying whatever he said. It says that he began by saying to them, and the following verses suggest that he probably said a lot more, but just the beginnings recorded for us, and it is a doozy. It is probably the best beginning of a sermon ever. Jesus says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And most of us, when we read that, we think that it means today this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. And on a certain level, I think that's probably the case. Jesus is saying that to a certain degree. He is announcing himself to be the one who is ushering in the year of the Lord's favor, sight for the blind, freedom for the captive, good news for the poor. Jesus was about that, and he was announcing that, and he was doing that. But he's also saying that this is fulfilled in their hearing, in their hearing. It's not fulfilled in Jesus' proclaiming, right? Like he could have yelled it off a mountaintop. It's a different thing. It's fulfilled in their hearing, not even in his reading, in their hearing. Something is happening here which we should unpack together because I think it's the same thing that's happening right now between you and me. I think it's the same thing that's supposed to happen every week when God's word is preached. Something is happening which requires the ears and the attention of those people who gather. I had this handed to me, though, because yesterday in the Knox Weekly email, there was a message from Samantha about the Hebrew word to hear, Shema. And if you read that email and you watched the video that she linked to in it, you would have already heard the explanation that in the culture and the languages of the Scripture, hearing and doing are inextricably linked. To hear is to obey. 
God is concerned that people hear His law not just so that He can be like, well, you did know better when they break it. He's concerned that people hear His law such that they would obey His law. The prophets talk all the time about people who have ears but can't hear, and what they're saying is that people might be biologically having the ability to hear something, but they seem to be incapable of doing the work of hearing, which is obedience. What if Jesus' words also carry the meaning that today the Scripture is fulfilled in your doing? What if that's what Jesus is saying? I don't think this would be so different from our understanding of the gospel. Yes, Jesus led the way to all these tremendous things, but Jesus partners with us in that work. Jesus calls us his body, invites us into his death and resurrection life. The scriptures were fulfilled with the help of the people who were gathered there. The following verse said that all spoke well of Jesus. They spread the good news more broadly. They were amazed at his teaching. And then, even when things take a decidedly darker turn and these people drive him from their town, we can see even in that action how they instigate the kind of ministry from the margins, unwelcome even in his own home, that would produce the compelling life of Jesus that we know, and ultimately which would lead him all the way to the cross itself, which makes resurrection possible for us all. You see, wittingly or unwittingly, the people gathered that day participated in the fulfillment of the Scripture. When Jesus took what Jesus took from Isaiah's proclamation and said was true about himself and true about his ministry, he would also lead to become true in the presence of these people, in their participation as they hear it, which is something that God actually says about his own word. Earlier in Isaiah, God says this, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word never returns empty or unsuccessful. The scripture read and the scripture preached are meant to have an impact beyond themselves, and God says it's going to happen. It always happens. I think it's for this reason that I've often shared after I preach on Sunday, and some of you express your appreciation for the sermon, I share this story that I once heard of a pastor who was shaking hands after the service and receiving the usual thanks and good sermon, and to which he finally responded, well, that remains to be seen. It remains to be seen because the word which is spoken in worship is not only a word that's for our entertainment. It's not only a word that's meant to get us thinking and to write really excellent notes that our grandchildren might read one day. It's actually to transform us and to call us into something deeper. And it's only when that happens that we can say God's word went and returned successful, that it hasn't been empty, that it was a good sermon, that something was accomplished. God's voice through Scripture read and preached is a voice that calls us deeper into His ways of life and truth, invites us to see these promises again as for us and to participate in their continued revelation to the world. 
in those membership questions buried in the last question I asked our new members was whether they agreed to participate in discerning God's Word together. That's what we're doing right now, you and me. I'm saying things and you are discerning how does this apply to my life? How is this God's Word for this time and this place? How is God speaking to our church together? Because resurrection life is about stepping into the words of truth that we hear about God and that we hear about ourselves in the Scriptures. One of the very best ways that we can hear those truths again for ourselves is in community where they're spoken into our context and into our time, where the truth of God's promises are not only shared for the intellectual value that they offer, but for the purpose of empowering you to live out the resurrection by making those truths foundational in your walk of faith and your living to encourage you for the rest of your life of worship and so that you can actually hold each other accountable to these things that you hear, that you know that that person who was sitting beside me in the pew, they've been called to the same thing. They know the same stuff I do. They've heard the same words from God. I can ask them how they're doing in that. I can figure out how we're doing this as a community together. And I'm not just patting me and Phil and whoever preaches here at Knox on the back about how great our preaching is, because I think this is what all preaching is. I think that's why Jesus preached, to invite people into the fulfillment of Scripture, and that's why the Christian community continues to elevate the practice of preaching and the reading of the Word to such an important place in our worship today, that God's voice is heard that the Scriptures proclaimed are powerful and purposeful for spurring us on into the kind of life that Jesus invites us into. And it reveals to us the continued hope which God is working toward in our midst. I think the most mature Christians that I know, they can hear a pretty awful sermon. It can be monotonous, maybe shallow, to use language I've heard here sometimes. It can be overly repetitive. It can be utterly baffling. And yet these people that I envy so much can still hear the voice of God in that terrible sermon for them and for their community. Maybe just one thing, one thing God is saying to them that day. And it takes practice. It takes the sincere belief that God continues to speak through his word preached. It takes dying to ourselves, dying to our preferences of how a sermon might be delivered, dying to the ways we might prefer to listen to God's voice. And most of all, it takes a willingness to see scripture as the continued word of God, which is meant to be fulfilled in our hearing. I'd like to challenge you I have a few challenges because there are people here on all different parts of their spiritual journey, and so I want there to be something that you're going to write down and try to do in the coming weeks. So the first one is for people who may be just checking church out today, haven't made a commitment, don't really know what this thing's about. Your challenge is to come back. Come back to Knox, come back to some community of God's faithful people gathered to worship and to hear God's word to try to make that part of your week and to see what it changes in your life. What fruit does it pr produce? 
Maybe you come every Sunday, but you don't like coming through the week. Join us at 7.30 starting on Thursday for worship and prayer together. Make a little extra space for worship in your life. Perhaps you've been coming for 50-some-odd years, and that's done. You've set your life up around the church. To you, I would encourage you to consider the posture you hold as you hear God's Word. Are you humbling yourself before God, trusting that there is something that He wants to tell you no matter how bad the sermon might be that day? There might be a word for you that you can take and hear. Maybe that's you too. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to help the others around you. In our time after the service, I think most of our conversations are often about the weather, about that local sports team that I heard did pretty all right last night. Those are the kinds of things that fill our time together in this spiritual community where we should feel the most comfortable and the most safe asking spiritual questions, checking in about how life with God's going. And so maybe for you who hear God regularly, you can share that with others. After the service, you can say, this is how I was challenged. This is the resurrection life I know that God wants to produce in me because of this word. This is the good news that I heard. What did you hear? What might we have heard together for our church? I think the more we have those kinds of questions together, first, the better the preaching will be because there will be an ongoing dialogue between preachers and hearers. But secondly, the better life in this community will be, the more we will be able to lean into resurrection together because we'll know what God's saying. We'll have heard it and we'll be doing it. Obedience and hearing will be linked together. So those are the things I want to challenge you with because that's why we gather for worship, that God's word might become more true in our lives that together we might hear and discern God's voice of hope and love calling us forward into new things that he's doing, new life that he's bringing in dry and desert places and to joyfully go with him into it, knowing that one way or another, his word will not return empty. And so we allow it to find fulfillment in our lives, in our church, for our good for the good of our city, the service of our world, and all for the glory and honor of the one who speaks and fulfills his promises in our hearing. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that your word is fulfilled in our hearing. That truth remains true this morning as it's been for millennia and it was when you told that to your neighbors in the synagogue. Help us to realize how true that is. Help us to have soft hearts that worship can mold to be more like your heart. Help us to have open ears that hear more and more often your still small voice speaking through even pastors who sometimes don't know what you're trying to say. Help us to trust your faithfulness, that your word never returns empty, that the promises you offer to your people are promises for us as well, and that we can live, know, live knowing that those promises 
are being made more real every day, more real in our hearing, more real in our doing, more real until finally at last your kingdom comes and we will rest in our worship of you forever and ever. Amen.